You know, if your business has a competitive advantage, what differentiates you from the rest of the pack? Are you just maintaining the status quo, surviving another day and hoping for the best? And then the same goes for yourself personally. So my interview with Joel Block brought back memories of my time as the head of continuous improvement at a major multinational global flavors company. Continuous improvement, that is the differentiator. We have to be constantly looking at our people and our processes and our systems because if we're not seeking to improve, if we aren't measuring ourselves by leading indicators that indicate whether we are going to be different and outpace the pack. I even remember a time where Joel and I connected after I first met him and says, Deb, what are those leading indicators in the leadership development space? And I shared a few thoughts with him. He is always thinking about the future and how to help better businesses and better individuals. You're going to love this interview. Let's listen. You can't separate companies from people. Companies are collections of people. People need to up their game. Every one of us, we need to continue to educate ourselves, be the best that we can be. We need to show up and be the best that we can. We need to read and we need to study and we need to improve. And whatever we need to do to do better at our job, that's what we need to do. Companies need to do the exact same thing. They need to continuously improve their customer service, improve their delivery speed, improve their websites, improve their interactions. Everything needs to constantly be getting better because the bar is going higher. Companies like Amazon have set a bar that every company is judged by. Every company who wants to sell anything online, this website really is just not that handy. I sure like Amazon's better. And so you have to have people who are doing things better. You have to have companies doing things better because the world has moved. The way that we judge and measure is not the same. So if you're using the same metrics, if you're measuring things the same way, you are not going to be successful. You're going to be sorely dissatisfied with your results. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, my name is Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I want to thank you again for joining me on another episode of the Drop-In CEO podcast, where I get to speak to amazing leaders who share some amazing insights with you. And if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great programming. And this week, I am honored to speak with Joel Block. Joel is a futurist and longtime venture capitalist and hedge fund manager who lives in a Shark Tank-like environment. (laughs) And since selling his publishing company to a Fortune 500, Joel's cage-rattling keynotes expose Wall Street's insights and the inside track on high-velocity innovation empowering businesses to predict 
and prepare for their futures. Joel, it's my honor to have this conversation with you. So I turn now to my listeners here. There is a real important reason why I brought Joel. Joel's an amazing person. I've had the good fortune of also being on his podcast, but he provides vital, vital insight to senior leaders and CEOs about the latest trends to help them plan for the future. Because if we're looking in our rear view mirror, we're not going to get very far, but having a clear vision of what the future looks like can be amazingly valuable. And I think this is going to be an amazing show. So Joel, I would love for you to introduce yourselves to our listeners. Tell us a little bit about yourself personally, your business journey, and the work that you're doing now. Well, you know, I started in the CPA business, if you could believe it. I wasn't really very good at it. And if I didn't quit, I'd been fired for sure, no doubt about it. But that did enable me to learn the business that I ended up going into. I, I was doing tax work for a giant real estate syndicator, which is a company that raises money and buys things. And I thought, I don't want to be an accountant doing the book work for this, but I want to go do deals like these guys. And I quit the firm. I was at Pricewaterhouse in the 80s. And I quit the firm and I went and I started a syndication company with another guy. And we ended up buying several properties and we made some money. And then in about 1990, I fell into a transaction where me and another guy invented the concept of delivering stock quotes to investors by fax. Now, that may just sound so bizarre at this time, but in 1990, this was such a forward-thinking thing. We were able to shave 18 hours off the delivery time. People had have to wait for their newspaper for tomorrow morning, and we were able to get them a fax here in the afternoon. It was amazing. And I raised $10 million for that company, grew it all over the country, and sold it. So I have done what many of the CEO listeners are out there trying to do conceive, conceptualize, operate, innovate, done all the different steps of putting these businesses together and ultimately selling my own. And And I've been involved in about 40 deals. And, and now I run a hedge fund and buy and sell other companies. We buy cryptocurrency and we're involved in a lot of deals. So really most of them in the money business, but I'm, I'm in the deal business and that's it. That's our deal. So thank you for that. But I'm often curious because I'm actually envious of people like you that have this insight or this can-do attitude about taking a risk or trying to do something innovative. Have you always been that way or is that something that you saw modeled and you grew into? I'm curious because again, I'm quite jealous. I wish I had that ability as well. I think it's my personality. It's just, it's just me. I did my first little deal when I was nine years old. I made another kid, bought a little mini bike off of another kid for five bucks. The other kid's dad, who we bought it together, he helped us fix it up. And then we sold it to a third kid for $10. So five bucks came out of thin air. And, and I didn't really understand where it came from or how come we got more. But it was the coolest thing that money came out of thin air. And, and I got some. That was one of the early things that helped shape me. There have been some other very formative things, important experiences. But that was the first one that I can remember. Very interesting. And thank you for that. So now you've moved into a role where you position yourself as a futurist. Why have you settled on that? Why are you doing that work now to influence? I'm just curious about how you then transitioned into that because you've written some amazing white papers that we're going to dig into very shortly. My whole business, venture capital is a forward-looking business. I think all leaders have to look forward. It doesn't do a lot of good to look backward. I mean, you need to study the past but don't focus too much on it. As much as I'm a CPA, I have a great sense about the value of those numbers and they're not quite as valuable as everybody thinks. Let's keep looking forward. Let's take advantage of the information that we have, but let's look forward because numbers are not necessarily predictive of what's about to happen in the future. I mean, they provide some insight, but they're not necessarily predictive. And, and I just have always had very good predictive skills. I have very good intuition. 
I know how to estimate and just kind of figure out what kinds of things are likely to happen. And that sort of comes from the fact that very early in my career, when I was just uh, still in college, I learned how to play cards. I learned how to play blackjack. I was a professional card player. I was so good. I mean, I was very, very good at this. I was so good. I was brought onto a team and we go to Las Vegas every weekend. And that's really where I learned systems. I learned how to calculate expected value. I learned how to do analysis. And a lot of the things that I have now, a lot of the rules of thumb, the strategies, and a lot of the different kinds of things that I think about come directly from that. So the venture capital business is all about making predictions going forward. And companies regularly call on me and they say, listen, can you help us predict our future and then plan for it? Understand that predict doesn't mean crystal ball and this is going to happen to you tomorrow and the stock market's going to go up and your golf game's going to get better. That's not what it is. It's really about kind of estimating, taking all the available information and really digesting it in a good way, a better way than other people. I'm good at it. So I love that analogy. And this is where I love sharing a little bit of your personal life and showing the parallels between our personal passions and business and strategy, because I've shared with my listeners a little bit that I'm also an amateur curler. So I do throw stones on ice. It is a winter athletic sport, not just a drinking opportunity. And there is a strategy. You have to look at the people component and those variables, the ice conditions, the ability of the people. And then as conditions change, maybe your opponent starts changing their strategy. The ice changes. It is constantly reevaluating data and information to predict and select the best shot to come out ahead. I'm a big fan of Sun Tzu. To me, it's terrain, it's layout, it's the enemy, the opponent. He was so right thousands of years ago about how to analyze things and what things need to be analyzed and how to figure this out. And he just did a great job. And what you just described is really taking a look at the environment and looking at the lay of the land and It's hardcore Sun Tzu. So even though what you're sharing with me, I'm just like, wow, being able to be coined as a futurist, I actually am rethinking that, that anybody, if you are in tune with your environment and you know a little bit about the information, the dynamics and the variables of the situation, you can start getting intuition about what the future may look like. So I think actually anybody could be a futurist. It's simply honing their craft, practicing, seeing what works and what doesn't. Anybody could be anything if they tried, but the truth is that they're so focused on what they do now that they have a hard time moving to the next thing. And there's a couple things that I've got these power strategies as a professional investor that I use. And one of them is really asking hard questions. I mean, hard questions. And one of my favorite questions, and this really helps me look at the future more than anything, is if somebody says to me, hey, Joel, did you hear about XYZ news stories happening? Okay, that's fine. That's just a fact, not good or bad, not necessarily up or down. It just, it's nothing. And then I'll think to myself, or I'll say out loud, SWIT. So what's the impact of that? And then I'll think about the impact. Well, the impact of that is these things and these things. And then the follow-up question is, and who wins and who loses? That's something to do with how I then make bets is, well, if this is going to happen and these people are going to win and those people are going to lose, then I probably want to get behind these companies and companies in these kinds of sectors. Those are the two big questions I use all the time that really help me to look forward in time. But that's really great insight as I think about some of the people that I serve as emerging leaders. And I talk a lot about this in my book that's just come out, The CEO's Compass, about emerging leaders and just general decision logic and being able to navigate complex landscapes, just being able to say, what is the risk? 
What is the opportunity? What's the impact? Those are great questions for somebody that is just trying to decide what they should or shouldn't do. So I think this SWIT analogy is very applicable to people in business as well. But I'd love to switch it up a little bit because what I found very interesting we talked about getting on the program here was you talk about capital. And while you have a financial background, you choose to, I think, guide leaders that there are many elements of capital. Could you describe what those are? Well, first of all, in economics, capital is any input into a business that it uses. And so companies, whether they realize it or not, compete on their capital. And their capital, it could be financial capital, which is the one that we mostly think about but there could be human capital, there could be intellectual capital, there could be political capital, social capital, relationship capital, invisible capital. There's all sorts of different kinds of capital and leaders need to know what their strengths are in each of the different kinds of capital. Because just like when they're out on a golf course and they pick the driver for a long shot and the putter for the hole at the end, they pick the right club at the right time. A carpenter is perfectly well-suited. They're brilliant at picking the right tool for the right job at the right time. And and that's exactly what they need to do. And that's what leaders have to do. It's a little harder for leaders because it's intangible. You know, it's not quite as obvious as like a hammer or a nail or a plane or a screwdriver or whatever the tools are. Believe me, it's not easy to use those tools. I'm not making any reference that it's easy to use them. I'm just saying that because you could see them, it's a little easier to understand. But In the capital arena, because most of the things that business leaders do are sort of invisible in a a certain way, they have to really get crystal clear about it. So we produce a trend report every year, and we produce it based on different kinds of capital. So the way we organize this, we don't organize it geographically. We don't organize it by large company or small company. We organize it by the type of capital. So there are some human capital trends that we identify. There are some invisible capital trends. There are some financial capital trends. And that's how we try to organize this report. And that makes it possible for people that have more interest in one kind of capital than another. They can study those trends and and get real clarity on those. So I have gone through this piece of content with a fine-tooth comb. There is so much value. If nothing else, it may validate the work that CEOs are doing and start getting to think about areas that they haven't yet expanded into. But I am especially interested in the human and intellectual capital because I'm thinking as I've done my work, we celebrate people that are the experts, the subject matter experts. But We need to treat it with the highest respect as intellectual property. When we think about intellectual property, we think about patents, something physical that we've invented, whether it's a process or a piece of equipment. And when we think about or talk about people and their intellectual property, people say, no, 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 they're just subject matter experts. And I choose to think differently that we need to honor people in their intellectual property because it's those gifts that made them successful. It is those gifts that we need to leverage as best we can, because unless we get the humans working as best they can and leverage what they know, we may see negative effects in the financial arena or the political or all the other places. But I would love to move into the human capital arena because you have a lot of topics and I'd love for you to share more. One of them that is extremely interesting to me is how contrarian thinking works, that asking questions, being the person that challenges assumptions. I would love to know more about why this particular area of intellectual human capital is so critical for leaders. Well, listen, I think for a long time, companies built organizations full of yes people. 
and they would just get people to say yes because they were the boss and the, and the workers were the workers and, and everybody kind of knew their place. But the world is sort of flattening out a little bit. At least our world is flattening out a little bit. We have many people that want to speak up and contribute. And this is not across every business, but certainly in service businesses and more modern type businesses, this is certainly true. And I'm not talking about being contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. When I was little, my dad used to say, you know, you're just saying that I say black, you say red. That wasn't true. I just think different than other people. And I would argue that entrepreneurial people think different than other people. It's just part of what we do. We can't help it. If the crowd is moving left, I usually will move right. Because the interesting thing is that by the time the crowd knows something, it's over. It's done and over. Warren Buffett famously said, you know, if your haircutter starts giving you stock tips, short the stock because everybody's going to start buying. By the time everybody gets the tip, it's over. You're at the top of the market. So I look at it this way. People who think like everybody else get what everybody else gets. People who think contrarian get something different. Might be more, might be less. Oftentimes it's more. So you have to think different than everybody else in order to be successful in your life. It's proved out for me. It's proved out for an awful lot of other people. I would say that most successful people have not had a typical, normal path in their life, especially entrepreneurial people. They have not just taken a corporate job and move up the ladder one step at a time, waiting for somebody to you know, be nice to them. They've just taken the bull by the horns. They've done their own thing. And I would say that strong leaders need to be around people that can give them contrarian opinions, contrary opinions at least. And then we need to examine those. And they may not be the right conclusion, but we need to examine them and we need to give them their due. And that's what we need to do. So I sincerely appreciate this thought because sometimes when people think differently and they're not embraced by the environment that they're in, that then that squelches that creativity and we lose them. And that's a waste. Most time, and, and you'll, you'll recognize this, somebody comes up, no, I don't know if that's a good idea. I've got a different idea. No, your idea is a terrible idea. Instead of doing that, we ought to say, thank you for that great new idea. Let's examine it carefully. And we should be thanking people who think differently. Because if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting the same thing. And by the way, I'm all about disruption and ovation. And you're either the dirt or you're the dynamite. And if you're doing the same thing over and over again, you're the dirt, you're going to get blown up that's not an offensive position. You're on a defensive track. And I'm all about taking an offensive track. I mean, that's just my posture. So I look for people to say things that are different than other people because different ideas are what move us forward. The same ideas keep us in about the same place, which may be a pretty good place until somebody else comes up with a better idea and passes us by. And this is great advice for somebody that just wants to stand out because thinking differently and taking an alternative position, while it might be a little rough in the beginning, eventually is going to get you where you want to go, assuming that you have the courage to press on. I mean, one could say, my LinkedIn profile could say, I'm a business consultant and a coach. Instead, I took the position, I'm the drop-in CEO. Drop-in CEO is a little risky. Are people going to like that? Is that going to resonate with people? But it paints a picture, and it's a little bit different, that I partner with a CEO when I drop in. And I don't just give you my three-step, five-step approach to solve their business problem, but I partner with people, and I make sure I leave a lasting impact. So I think and position myself a little bit differently. And you know what? I'm going to stick with it because people like it. We need more people to have bravery to think differently and leaders to embrace it. Love your topics. I'm going to take you in another direction because this is amazing. This is about, 
I don't know, succession planning. And I don't know if companies really prepare our leaders to prepare the future leaders. And you have a topic in here about leaders are casting directors. And I would love for you to unpack that a little bit more because it's a little bit different about what leaders' roles actually are. Well, this isn't so much about succession as it is about getting people to do what is right for them. As leaders, we have needs that we need to be met. And what I frequently will see somebody do is I need a salesperson. Okay, the secretary doesn't do a lot of work in the afternoon. So in the afternoon, I'm going to have the secretary make phone calls. That's like the worst idea ever. Why? Because people tend to do what they prefer to do. If they prefer to make phone calls, they're going to be making phone calls and the secretarial duties are going to fall away. If they prefer to do secretarial work and they don't like making phone calls, then the secretarial responsibilities are going to swell up and fill up the whole day. And that's just the nature of how it is. So leaders have to be aware of what people are good at and they have to put the right people in the right roles. And that's not just about making promotions. It's about getting people matched into the right roles. And that's very, very important. So that has a lot to do with it. I mean, a really good leader is a really good casting director. I mean, when you watch a really good movie, it's believable because the person seems like the person that they're acting. They may not be anything like that person. That's just good acting. But the casting director's job is to know that that person can morph into the character and live that character and be great at that. And that's what we have to do in our businesses. And the better job that we do with this in our businesses the more successful our businesses are going to be. And this has become, again, there's more emphasis nowadays on human capital than ever before. And that's why these are trends is that these are things that, you know, in the past, do what I tell you, or I'm not going to give you any money at the end of the week. That attitude is dead and gone. It's not working anymore. So now employees are like partners, treat them like team members, cast members, partners in your business. Treat them with the respect they deserve. Give them the work that they want to do, and they're going to kick butt and do good for you. Great insight, and it so resonates with me because when I started in my last role as the head of quality for a multinational flavor manufacturing company, I didn't have a lot of staff, but I picked and chose the people that I thought had amazing potential. And while they had excellent expertise, I saw potential far beyond what they had already been positioned. They were great at transactional, doing the work that was needed to do. But one particular person that I brought under my wing, yes, they were good at operational excellence, making things better, faster, cheaper in the operations, but they loved to train. They had a knack for history, a knack for critical thinking. And ultimately, I saw that thing that was going to help me. If I can get people to learn how to be better problem solvers, get to the root cause, learn new techniques for being operationally efficient, I'm going to get more out of the masses. And ultimately, this person thrived. They were amazing at this new role. And fortunately or unfortunately, they eventually left my organization and sought a higher level position. Talk about recognizing what you just said, taking somebody that has this potential, has these skills that sometimes we're blind to. It's up to the leader to see those skills and put them in the right roles. So amazing, amazing insight. Now you switch it up a little bit here. You have another topic that was new for 2021 in your report where you talk about companies need to up their game. And especially, you know, now that the pandemic has come and is going, companies need to do things a little bit differently. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your insight and what you see the future is. You can't separate companies from people. Companies are collections of people. 
people need to up their game. Every one of us, we need to continue to educate ourselves, be the best that we can be. We need to show up and be the best that we can. We need to read and we need to study and we need to improve and whatever it is that we need to get better at technology, whatever we need to do to do better at our job, that's what we need to do. Companies need to do the exact same thing. They need to continuously improve their customer service, improve their delivery speed, improve their websites, improve their interactions. Everything needs to constantly be getting better because the bar is going higher. Companies like Amazon have set a bar that every company is judged by. Every company who wants to sell anything online, this website really is just not that handy. I sure like Amazon's better. I mean, they've just set the bar on, on what works and you better start doing it better. And so you have to have people who are doing things better. You have to have companies doing things better because the world has moved. The way that we judge and measure is not the same. So if you're using the same metrics, if you're measuring things the same way, you are not going to be successful. You're going to be sorely dissatisfied with your results. And like you and I have talked about from time to time, the need to change our metrics, not just the lagging metrics, leading metrics, and maybe ones that are a better indicator of the future. But I would love to know a story. Your insights are amazing. And I know you've impacted many people, many CEOs, many companies. But I would love to know a story where maybe somebody came to you. Maybe they were at one of your keynote speeches and they were in a place where they said they needed your help. I'm curious if you could share a little bit about that experience and what was it that you were able to help that leader or organization with? Through my career, I've done a limited amount of advisory. Most of the work that we do is for companies that we own. So that hasn't been such, I'm not a service provider like some people, although more recently, as I wind down my hedge fund, I'm retiring from the fund and I'm doing more speaking. I'm invited to speak all over the country. People do come to me and bring problems. And there are many issues that prevent people from dealing with their problem. You know, listen, first of all, they have to talk and I have to listen. And then I can respond to them, give them insights because as a venture capitalist, as somebody who buys and sells companies and invests in things, I've been inside of a thousand companies. I mean, so I've got a bird's eye view of lots of things. I'm not so much an operator, although I've operated my fair share of companies over time. But in the last many years, I'm really not inside of one company operating and I'm really more looking at other companies from the outside. And so I have a lot of perspective. One of the things that prevents companies and leadership from making the best decisions and the best predictions about their futures is that they hope something is going to happen. So they've got this confirmation bias built in to their decision-making process. And that's part of why uh, companies need to have outside influence. You have to bring outsiders in that are capable. I've got a mastermind or a think tank group of hedge fund managers, and I do a lot of predictive work about assets and with COVID and all the things that happened, what kinds of asset classes they should be looking at. And I tell them what to buy. I said, look, these are asset classes that I'd be looking at. These are deals that I'd be working on. And then these guys go and they make whatever decisions they're going to make. They do their own due diligence. And and that's part of the value. But I think that every organization should be part of some kind of mastermind or think tank, probably should be professionally facilitated. These groups are extraordinary. To think about your industry, your business for some period of time is really, really powerful. So 
those are the kinds of things that I encourage people. I mean, there will be more specific things, but that's probably a pretty good place to start. So this is really, really great advice. I know that you have so many, many resources, but as we start thinking about bringing this to a close, and there are so many people that could use your insights, your knowledge, your resources, what are the best ways to get a hold of some of those things that you can share with others? And even if they don't engage with you for your services or your speaking events, that they're going to get some great value with those resources be? First of all, they should go to our website, joelblock.com. That's probably the best place to start. There's a resource page. We have a podcast and it's Profit from the Inside, which is all about taking the inside track. There are better people who know how to run restaurants better, people who are better leaders, people who are better managers, better sellers, and they have the inside track on doing something better than other people do. And we expose the inside track on our show. That's what the show is about. We also produce an annual trend report, which is very well received. It's very popular. I speak about these trends all year long and help companies to understand them and think about where they're going and help them to learn how to do prediction. You can download those reports either on our website or you can take out your mobile phone. This is very simple. Just open the texting app, put in the number 72,000. And then when it's in the word, put in the word trend. Text the word trend to 72,000. It'll send you back a link and you'll click on the link and There are two reports. One has 29 trends and one is a bonus trend all about social media and what we think the pros and cons are. And we would encourage anybody who's interested in any of these kinds of things, take a look. And once you get on our list, then we have videos. We produce videos on disruption and ovation because again, I'm all about taking the offense, being the torpedo, not the target, being the dynamite, not the dirt. I mean, there's all this stuff that I just think that companies could really learn. A lot of companies really are too afraid to even move because they're in a world of hurt. The world is moving around them and they don't know where to go. Just because you don't know how to do something doesn't mean it can't be done, but you got to get around people who know what they're doing. And that might be professional people. It might be other industry people, but just because you're sitting there not feeling good, reach out to some other people who can help you. And that's just what you got to do. So I appreciate all those resources. I know they're going to be very valuable, but I just have a personal question for you. You give, give, give so much value. Your resources are great. And I can't wait to hear your new keynote speech that you've now brought out into the world, but you give so much. But what of the work that you do gives you great joy? When do you know, like, ah, I've made an impact? I just love to know that. Well, I'll tell you, I was doing a keynote last week for an industry that's really in a world of hurt. They can't get over the fact that they're hurting and they're having these problems and it's it's unfair and it's not nice. And they, you know, and I get it. I totally get it. All these things like the world is not nice and the politics aren't fair, and but nobody cares. And I said to him, nobody cares. Nobody cares about your whining and moaning and your problems. You know, So let's put that aside and let's just look forward in time and think about how to solve this problem. And they said, well, it can't be, this can't be done and that can. And, and you know what? We kind of demonstrated that, yes, it can. Yes, it can be done. There was an engineer who said the physics won't allow this. I said, has there ever in the last 50 years been an innovation where we're doing things that 50 years ago were maybe they thought were impossible? Well, yeah, there's a lot of them. And it's not that the physics changed, that they, they started doing it in a different way. You know, when they built the Panama Canal, they originally built it. They were trying to go from sea level to sea level. And every time there'd be a rainstorm, there'd be a landslide, and they'd wipe out a year's worth of work. So that didn't work. And then the Americans came in after the French failed. They said, well, we could do it better. And they tried to go sea level to sea level and it didn't work. And then finally, somebody said, you know, we got these big mountains here. Maybe we need to stair step this thing over the mountains. And everybody laughed and said, 
stairs? Are you kidding? Take a ship over a mountain? No, you can't do that. And sure enough, what do they end up doing? You know, so somebody thought about the problem in a different way. That gives me great joy is when I help companies to think about things in a different way, look at it from a different perspective, especially if I'm not from their industry. Although I've been in a lot of industries, if I'm not from their industry, I bring the gift of a brand new vision. That is a real gift that I'm not tainted by all the garbage that they deal with every day in whatever industry they're in. And, and that's the advantage of generally consultants is that they're not inside your business and they, they don't know all the details. So, but I, I get great joy when I see somebody's face light up like, oh my God, we never thought about that. That could really work. That's amazing. So maybe there is a way out of this hole and we just didn't know what it was. There's always a way out. I mean, listen, some of the greatest companies in the country have had terrible defeats. IBM and AIG and all these giant companies, they've had terrible defeats. Target was almost broken. Then Starbucks almost went broke. They fixed themselves. They didn't lay down and whine and moan. They got busy and they fixed themselves. And so every company needs to think today is good. Tomorrow could be better. And they just have to go about making that happen. And we need to say thank you more to the people that think differently. I Listen, I, I think we, we absolutely should. And I'll just end with this. Keep looking forward because that's where your future is. All right. Beautiful. You've been an amazing guest. I appreciate it. I wish you continued success. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.